Well, let's begin our study this evening with prayer. So let's uh, stand and ask the Lord's blessing upon our, our Bible study. Heavenly Father, again we thank Thee that we have the uh, privilege to be able to open Thy Word and to um, have the Lord Jesus, our Good Shepherd, speak to us uh, through uh, this, His inspired Word. We pray that, that Thou would give to us hearts that are uh, ready and anxious to learn of Thee and to apply thy truth to our lives. Pray that thou would guide us and lead us into thy paths of truth and righteousness, that thou would cleanse us of our sins as we come into thy presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles open, turn with me to John 10. And the verses we're going to be considering this evening would be verses 16 through 18, John 10, 16 through 18. <clears throat> I'll begin reading with verse 11 to pick up the context. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So in the verses we just read, Jesus uh, has declared himself to be the good shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. In verse 11, when he says, I am the good shepherd, as well as in verse 14, he says the same thing, I am the good shepherd. And uh, he makes clear that he lays down his life uh, for the sheep. And it's an important distinction. He lays down his life for the sheep, not for the goats. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, Jesus is speaking to 
these religious leaders, and he says in verse 26, just uh, we'll get to this verse uh, in another study, but notice what Jesus says in verse 26 of John 10. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. So Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep. Then he says to these religious leaders, you're not of my sheep. Which, again, uh, one can only draw the conclusion that Jesus did not lay down his life for those who are not his sheep. These religious leaders are not his elect. He did not lay down his life for them. He did not die for them. Throughout John chapter 10, the Lord has, and this is again review uh, before we get to verse 16, but throughout this chapter, the Lord Jesus has been drawing a contrast between faithful shepherds who care for and protect the sheep from hirelings and from wolves that would attack. And they do so by preaching, teaching, counseling according to God's word. That's the food that the sheep need uh, in order to grow, in order to uh, be nourished, to be fed. Uh, they need God's word. And so the responsibility of faithful shepherds would be to feed the sheep and to protect the sheep by way of saying, you know, uh, watch out for these teachings, for these uh, heresies that are out there that can deceive, that can mislead, that can take you astray. Uh, and so that's the responsibility of a faithful shepherd is to warn and to instruct and to teach. Not only to give them what God's word says, but also to warn them as to what God's word does not say and what is being taught out there that is contrary to God's word. And so uh, Jesus compares or contrasts the faithful shepherd uh, that does feed the sheep to uh, a hireling and, and to wolves. And hirelings, again, are those that uh, basically uh, consider the ministry just a job. Uh, that's just like punching the clock. They're just uh, kind of like uh, a CEO of a corporation and uh, they don't know the sheep, they don't really care for the sheep, they care how many seats are empty maybe, uh, they care what is dropped into the offering and that kind of thing, but uh, they don't truly care for the sheep, they don't have a heart for the sheep, they don't know the sheep. Um, those are hirelings. Um, whereas the faithful shepherd uh, considers the ministry not a job but a calling, and a calling from God, a trust basically committed to the faithful shepherd uh, on behalf of and by and on behalf of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so as, as a shepherd uh, of the sheep, my, my first and my foremost commitment uh, is to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the one that has appointed me. Um, and secondarily, to be faithful to the sheep. 
uh, to you. But I, I can't invert that order. I have to be first and foremost committed uh, to Jesus. Because if I'm not faithful to him, I won't be faithful to you. Uh, if I start with the other order where I'm faithful to you, I don't have any understanding what it means to be faithful. I only understand what it is to be faithful because of, of seeking to follow the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And I'm then able to be taught myself, instructed as to how I'm to care for you, uh, the sheep. The wolves, again, uh, not only hirelings, but wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, basically, these are the religious leaders in that context in which Jesus is speaking um, the, that were the hirelings and that were the wolves. Um, and uh, Jesus is actually speaking to them and warning uh, the, the sheep beware of these people. Um, yeah, so the Lord is again directing this toward uh, the religious leaders that, uh, that were present in the audience to whom he's speaking there. So let's take up verse, with verse 16, John 10, 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So who are his sheep that Jesus says are not of this fold? I guess we have to understand what is this fold. First of all, who are the sheep that are within this fold? Then we'll understand better who are the sheep that he is speaking of here who are not of this fold. Because sheep, again, he's not saying some are sheep and some are goats. goats. He's saying uh, uh, he has sheep that are of this fold that he's speaking to, and then he has sheep that are not of that fold. So let's try to understand again. Uh, the sheep of this fold would be the Jewish, uh, uh, those Jewish believers those who have come to embrace Jesus Christ, they're the ones of this fold, when he says, uh, uh, uses that terminology. Uh, so the sheep that are not of this fold would be Gentile believers, uh, would be those who would come to faith in Jesus Christ who are not Jewish. Uh, he's referring here to the elect among the Gentiles. Uh, for whom he died, and whom he would uh, bring in time, he would bring to himself uh, and draw them unto himself. They would believe and trust in him. Just as uh, in Romans 11, verse 5, the Apostle Paul speaks of the Jews at, uh, at that time and, and Jews that would believe on him, he says that there are among the Jews there were the elect according to God's grace among the Jews. And so just as there are the elect according to God's grace among the Jews that God has chosen and that he will bring to 
trust in Jesus Christ, so there are the elect amongst the Gentiles. And so there's, there's the, the, the Jewish believers, there are the Gentile believers as well. And so here you have um, two different folds as to nationality. But Jesus makes very clear that they're not to remain as separate folds. He says, they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold. In other words, the Lord did not intend uh, after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for there to be a Jewish church and a, and a Gentile church. He did not intend for uh, the church uh, of Jesus Christ to be divided according to, you know, in a, in a country where there is a mixture of nationalities that you still within that country um, have you know, all of the people of this particular nationality in, a, in one congregation and all the people of this other nationality in a different congregation, unless they speak different languages and they've not been able to yet learn the common language of that nation. That might be a reason to, to uh, at least uh, have different congregations like in the United States. Uh, where they speak different languages, they've come from different parts of the world. But that's, that's a, a different reason than simply dividing the Church of Jesus Christ because we're of different nationalities. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think that the Church of Jesus Christ, because it is universal, there will be uh, those uh, Christians in China, there will be those Christians in in uh, Russia, there'd be those uh, Christians in Israel, there'd be those Christians in various parts of the world, in Africa, uh, and they'll obviously uh, have their churches in those locations. But that's again uh, due to the fact that they are uh, in that part of the world. Um, but if some of them move over this part of the world, uh, unless they speak a, a, a different language, and unless they cannot understand the English language, we shouldn't be separating them and saying, well, no, you can't be a part of our church or our congregation because you don't look the same, and you don't, you know, uh, we're, we're different nations. No, um, that's not what Jesus intended. He intended, again, that the church, that there be one fold, one fold throughout the church of the world, the universal church of Jesus Christ. And so though there are uh, sheep, uh, sheep coming from two different folds as to nationality, Jew and Gentile, they must all come by way of one shepherd. They must all come uh, to the Father through the Son. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Notice in verse 16 that Jesus says, and other sheep I have. Uh, in other words, he's referring to elect sheep, those who uh, shall come to believe in him amongst the Gentiles, but yet he uses the present tense, I have them now. 
They are mine now, even before they've come to believe in me. They've been given to him in order to save. It's not, I shall have uh, other sheep, but he says, I have them now because the Father has given them to him in order to save, in order to sacrifice his life for. If you'll, you know, you're in John 10, so just flip back to John chapter 6, verses 37 and 39. We see again that those for whom Jesus has come to save and to die, that the Father has given them to him. And when did he give them to him? Well, from eternity. Verse 37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So um, all of those who come to believe in Jesus Christ, the Father from eternity gave them to the Son in order to rescue and in order to save. Jesus says in verse Likewise, in verse 39 of John 6. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, notice again that language, talking about the Father having given to the Son certain ones, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So all that the Father has given to the Son to rescue and to save, to die for, sacrifice his life for, Jesus says, I should lose nothing. I should not lose even one. But all that he's given to me, I will raise up on the last day. So not one of God's elect uh, will uh, perish in hell. All of God's elect will be rescued and saved by the Lord Jesus. When the Apostle Paul was ministering in Acts chapter 18 in, in Corinth, it, the Lord appeared to him in a, in a vision and spoke to him by night and encouraged him because it, it apparently was a very difficult period in, of ministry in Paul's life there in Corinth at the outset, a great opposition, and perhaps he was struggling uh, quite significantly. But we see that the Lord appeared to him, spoke to him in a, uh, in a vision by night, and this is what he said in verses 9 and 10. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Now notice what the Lord says to Paul. For I have much people in this city. I have much people. That doesn't, Paul's not seen uh, the flowing in to the church of these people. They haven't believed yet. They haven't come to him yet. But God is saying, I have much people uh, already in the city that are going to come. And there was a huge 
uh, overflowing of people in Corinth that came to Christ uh, through the ministry of Paul at that time. But God gave to him, the Lord gave to him that assurance. I have many people here in Corinth. They are mine. They're my elect, and they will come to believe uh, in me through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back to John chapter 10, verse 16. When Lord Jesus says, And after, or, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. I must bring them. Very interesting language. Uh, literally, Jesus says, it is necessary that I bring them. In other words, uh, Jesus uh, doesn't have the option whether to, to bring the elect that God has chosen for him to save. He must do so. He must bring them into the fold, these Gentile believers uh, that will yet believe in him. He must bring them in. So, the plan of God all along was that the gospel would be presented through Jesus Christ to the Jews. The Jews would reject the Lord Jesus Christ and that then the gospel would go out to the Gentiles uh, throughout the world. There's a theological system called dispensationalism. And classic dispensationalism basically teaches that it was God's intention and God's plan to bring the gospel to the Jews and not to the Gentiles but because the Gentiles or the Jews rejected Jesus, Jesus went to plan B, uh, rather than that being God's plan all along uh, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Throughout the Old Testament, in just a couple places, uh, just to show that this was, again, God's, God's plan, uh, Isaiah Isaiah 2.2 teaches, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. So that all Gentile nations will, would flow into the house of the Lord, which is the church of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 22, verses 27 through 28, Psalm 22, verses 27 through 28, uh, this is a messianic psalm. Uh, we find here the 
reference to the death of, of Christ, uh, his crucifixion. Uh, in verse 14, I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax, it melted in the midst of my bowels. Um, Verse 17, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And uh, so this is a messianic psalm and speaking of the Lord Jesus and his death, but uh, after his death, the glory and his after his resurrection, the glory of the Lord and reaching out to the Gentile nations, beginning with the apostolic ministry, going into the various nations, but extending throughout this period of time in which we're even now living, there, there will yet come a time in which all nations will, will serve and worship the Lord, all Gentile nations, not just uh, Israel, uh, but to all nations, it says, Psalm 22, verses 27 through 28. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. In, you may remember in Acts, as the apostles were going out after the, um, the Lord had been crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, gave forth the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And as the apostles, um, or as the gospel went out, it went in Acts 8 to the Samaritans. And the Samaritans believed through the preaching of Philip, uh, the evangelist there. But um, the manifestation, uh, the outward manifestation that uh, the Lord gave for, uh, to indicate that they were a part of the church of Jesus Christ, uh, awaited Peter and John actually going to Samaria to be able to uh, be the apostolic witnesses that Samaritans had received the same salvation as the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, they needed that testimony. Uh, the Samaritans that believed and trusted in the, Lord, in the Lord needed that testimony that would be confirmed by the apostles themselves so that there wouldn't be a Samaritan church and, and a Jewish church and that these two churches would remain forever separate and so the apostles from Jerusalem went to Samaria to be able to instruct and teach and to pray that they as well would, would uh, receive the Holy Spirit as, uh, by way of, again, in that particular instance, by way of some outward sign that they had received the same salvation as the Jews had received in Acts 2. Likewise, in Acts 10, there, Peter, uh, there, Cornelius and uh, others are gathered in his home, and Peter goes there with other Jewish witnesses to the home of Cornelius, and uh, they believe, 
And God, once again, gives a visible demonstration uh, of God, of the Holy Spirit and his presence with these new believers. And the reason he gives that outward demonstration and the reason that it's Peter and other witnesses, Jewish witnesses that go there, is again to demonstrate the Gentiles receive the same salvation. They're part of the same church. They receive the same outward evidence, uh, 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 that outward manifestation that they received in Acts 2 uh, by way, uh, in that instance, of speaking in other languages. Uh, and so those were unique uh, in those particular examples so as to demonstrate once and for all that these different nationalities to where the gospel, to which the gospel came in these nations, they were not to be treated differently than the Jewish church. They were all of one church, the same salvation. They were brought into the church of Jesus Christ. That's why in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear uh, concerning not only nationality, but also as to servitude, as to gender. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. There's not a church just for men, and then a separate church for women. There's not just a church for those who are free, Paul says, and one for those who are slaves. Uh, there's not a church for those who are Greeks and a church for those who are Jews, um, that we are all part of the same church, one fold, uh, one sheepfold that the Good Shepherd uh, has established and is continuing to add to throughout history. That was the ongoing problem in the, in the first century that Jewish converts to Jesus Christ, um, they were facing and uh, they thought that uh, Gentile converts needed basically to become Jews in order to become Christians. You have to be circumcised, you have to follow the dietary laws, you have to follow the holy days from the Old Testament, you basically have to become Jews in order to become Christians. And so that was, again, the, the Galatian heresy that the Apostle Paul is, is uh, speaking against and condemning throughout uh, the book of Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians. That's what they were saying. You can't be saved, they said, and you can't be justified unless you are circumcised. And uh, Paul says, uh, that's a heresy. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's faith alone in Jesus Christ alone that uh, is the means uh, to our being justified. Then Jesus says, again back to verse 16, that these Gentile sheep 
shall hear my voice. They shall hear my voice. And that means, uh, again, God will give them ears, spiritual ears, to hear the good shepherd speaking to them and saying, come unto me. Come unto me, receive me. Uh, before um, the Lord gives them ears to hear spiritually, they can hear outwardly the gospel, but they don't, won't hear it inwardly. The reason, the reason why any of you, the reason I have responded to the gospel is because Jesus gave me ears to hear Jesus calling me. Not with a audible voice, but he was calling me efficaciously. He was, he was calling me unto himself. He was calling you to himself to come and believe in him, to trust in him. All his sheep hear that voice of the Lord Jesus. All of those who are truly his sheep, and they respond, they come unto him when he calls them. And this, uh, I think, is a, a very uh, encouraging word from the Lord Jesus. He says, again, uh, in verse 16, they shall hear my voice. That's a future tense, uh, shall hear. Uh, this is basically a, a prophecy um, a prophetic utterance that all of his sheep in the future among the Gentiles shall hear his voice. Uh, as far as I know, I'm not uh, ethnically uh, Jewish. Uh, I'm a Gentile. Uh, I'm, I'm included in that. Jesus, when he said, they shall hear my voice, uh, he knew me by name. He knew you by name. He wasn't calling uh, a nameless, faceless group of sheep or, or people. That's, that, that ought to encourage you greatly. Those who trust in him. That he had you in mind when he said that right there in verse 16. And they shall hear my voice. You have heard his voice. Jesus had you specifically in mind right then and there as he spoke that. And as I said, there is one fold and there is one shepherd. Uh, the Pope is not... The one shepherd here upon the earth. I'm not the one shepherd here upon the earth. Uh, no mere human minister is or no um, priest or anyone else. Um, uh, the one shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. He does have his own under shepherds uh, who follow him and teach what he teaches. But uh, there is only one shepherd who gathers the sheep, and that is the Lord Jesus. And so, because there is one fold, 
because there is here not many flocks, but one flock uh, of sheep that Jesus is referring to, uh, this is uh, very important, I think, uh, to our understanding, again, that, that in the future, again, whether it be dispensationalism or whether it be Messianic Judaism, um, that teach basically that there will be in the future a different program, uh, a different uh, flock, as it were, for the Jews, Jewish believers, those who believe in Christ, and for Gentile believers, that God has a different plan for each of them. Um, Jesus isn't saying that at all. Jesus says there's one flock. Uh, they come into one, the same church. So again, I, I emphasize how important that is, whether in the present, we ought not to be divided uh, into messianic congregations versus you know, Gentile congregations. We ought to be one church meeting together and uh, that was what Paul did. Uh, Paul didn't go up setting up separate congregations where there are Jews and Gentiles separate from one another. He was bringing them all into the same church, into the same congregation. And because there's one universal church one universal flock consisting of Jews and Gentiles throughout the world. This also tells us, I believe, uh, that the Lord Jesus does not approve of de denominationalism either. That, uh, that we ought to be seeking to tear down denominational uh, barriers, but that doesn't mean that we throw the truth out the door. We, we don't tear them down to reach the lowest common de denominator. We tear those barriers down in order to uphold the same doctrine, worship, and church government uh, by way of that at those attainments uh, that the Lord has given to us in history uh, subsequent to the the New Testament church, all based upon God's word. And that's why it's very, very important uh, for us to have confessions of faith and catechisms which summarize uh, the, uh, the truth that we have attained to uh, in history. Um, and again, not truth that's contrary to the word of God, but truth that is agreeable uh, to the word of God. But we need to, again, realize uh, that God never intended uh, that we be, uh, and, and it's not his design that we be uh, in separate denominations, holding and believing different things, as if uh, that's uh, perfectly okay with the Lord Jesus. He says in John 17, this is the prayer of the Lord Jesus before his death. John 17, verses 20 and 21 Neither pray I for these, that is, for his disciples alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. 
that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they all may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Is there a difference between the Father and the Son as to doctrine? Do they agree, the Father and the Son, the same doctrine? Do they agree in the same worship? Do they agree in the same government of the church? That's what God wills for us, to be of the same mind, according to 1 Corinthians 1.10, to have the same judgment, not to be divided, uh, Christians to be divided one from another. Uh, if we don't even start there, we're not going to be able to move uh, beyond that. We're going to basically then justify all of these divisions if we don't start with the fact that God does not design that we have these denom denominations, uh, these, these different uh, sects uh, and, and uh, denominations one from another. If we understand that it's Christ's revealed will that we be one in doctrine and worship and church government, then uh, we have a foundation and a basis from which to begin. Granted, that doesn't automatically bring us to the same doctrine and worship and church government, but at least we know what his will is. If we don't even start there, if we think that it's okay that we ha have all of these denominations, that we disagree and all of that, if that's what we think is God's will, we're never going to strive or to seek to um, come to unity in doctrine and worship and church government as the Father and the Son are in unity as it relates to doctrine and worship and church government. And so, uh, granted, we've got a lot of work to do uh, in order to, to do that. We began, obviously, within our own church, within our own congregations, to strive to have that, that unity, and then seeking to spread that type of reformation to others around us, uh, who would have the same understanding of Scripture, uh, not, again, uh, disagreeing amongst one another as to the, the, those uh, doctrines that uh, are found, for example, in our confession of faith. That is a unifying document that helps us to understand this is what we believe the Bible teaches. This is what we believe all Christians should believe the Bible teaches. So verses 17 through 18, as we wrap it up this evening. Therefore, doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again? No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father Jesus here teaches a, a most important truth. And that is that he was not forced to lay down his life for the sheep. He voluntarily did so. He laid down his life for the sheep because he loved the sheep even more than he loved his own physical life. He loved the sheep more than, than being free of the 
the wrath of God that fell upon him. He loved the sheep that much, his elect, that he was willing to die for them, suffer for them, willingly suffer the curse of God for his sheep that he loved from all eternity. The Father loves the Son from all eternity. And he says in verse 17 that uh, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. The Father's love for the Son has never, never increased, it's never de- decreased. Uh, but Jesus is here emphasizing that his willingness to suffer God's wrath upon the cross was the occasion in which the Father especially delighted as an expression of love and what Jesus did, his willingness to suffer the wrath of his Father for his sheep, for his loved ones. Let me just give you perhaps a a human analogy that might make this a little more real. We cannot possibly compare the love of the Father uh, and his love for for his Son which is an infinite love, which is an everlasting love, which is a love that was especially demonstrated in Christ laying down his life for us to something in our own life. But we can have some perhaps slight understanding of the degree of that love. Uh, when, you, when your child uh, willingly and joyfully does what you uh, have directed him or her to do. Not because you had to go back and remind them and remind them and remind them, not because you had to uh, use uh, some threat uh, that if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen, but when your child just willingly and joyfully does what you've asked them to do, Is that not an occasion in which your love swells? Not that you love them more uh, before uh, or after they did that than you did before, but is that not an occasion in which your love swells with delight in your child at that time? Because you didn't have to force them. You didn't have to remind them. They did so because they loved you. They wanted to respect you. Um, and, and so that becomes the occasion of, 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 uh, of uh, delight in that child. And yet that love just uh, for that child, not to, as, as I said, not that you love the child more than you did before, but that is just an occasion for that. So similarly, so similarly, uh, Jesus says, Therefore doth my Father love me because I laid down my life that I might take it again. The Father shows in that particular occasion his love for me because I'm willing to lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus makes clear here that he was not a creature 
that could not raise himself from the dead. He says he lays down his life in verse 17 that he might take it up again. Uh, he is saying, I'm not, I'm not just an ordinary human being. I am God. I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, John 11:25. And as I voluntarily lay my life down, I'm God and I can take up my life as well. The resurrection of Jesus uh, is attributed to God the Father in Acts 2.32. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is attributed to God the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter 3.18. And here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is attributed to, to God the Son. This teaches us the unity of the Trinity through each person in the glorious work of redemption each of them has each person of the trinity has a part has a role uh, has something uh, by way of uh, uh, our redemption that's very uh, vitally um, uh, involved again there's one God three persons and so for uh one of those persons of the Trinity to be involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because, again, there's a unity amongst the Trinity is, again, to say that each of the persons of the Trinity was involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's true uh, in creation. Uh, each of the persons of the Trinity is involved in creation. Each of the persons of the Trinity is involved in uh, salvation. Each of the persons of the Trinity is involved in providence daily, all that happens in this world. There's a unity uh, amongst the Godhead in regard to all the works that are performed. And lastly, though we rightly understand that the Father chose us in Christ, that Christ willingly suffered in order to remove the guilt and the con condemnation uh, from his redeemed ones, and that the Holy Spirit then applies that redemption to our lives. Never, nevertheless, and I want to just leave this with you, when we worship the Father as God, we also worship the Son as God. We also worship the Holy Spirit as God because, again, our worship is not simply to the Father. Our worship is to God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And though we may address uh, in prayer uh, at any particular point, we can pray and, and address the Father, we can address the Son, we can address the Holy Spirit in prayer. But when we address one of the persons of the Trinity in prayer, we're not excluding the other two uh, persons of the Trinity. We're praying to God. We're, we're, we're including in our worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as one. Because all worship belongs, doesn't belong to one person of the Trinity. As I said, all worship belongs to God himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why, again, the Lord Jesus said, 
with regard to baptism in Matthew 28, 19, baptizing them in the name, singular, in the name, not names, in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the name of God, in the name Jehovah, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Because again, all members of the Holy Trinity are to be worshipped and adored and to be glorified. Not one over the other, uh, each of them uh, are to be adored and reverenced and uh, given the glory due unto the name of our great and mighty God. Let's uh, stand and ask the Lord's blessing upon uh, the, these brief remarks this evening. Heavenly Father, thank Thee for Thou hast again sent Thy Spirit to teach us. Uh, we thank Thee for our Good Shepherd. And Lord Jesus, we honor Thee even as we have been taught by Thee this evening, for Thou art our teacher. We pray, Lord, that Thou would, would uh, give to us such joy uh, in learning and growing in our knowledge of Thee, that, Lord, Thou would open uh, our hearts to receive Thy truth, that we would again rejoice that there is one flock not many flocks, there is one flock, and Jesus is the shepherd of that one flock. And that, Lord, we uh, not only acknowledge that with our lips, but, Father, that we pray uh, that that may be in reality the case. Because, Lord, what we see with our eyes today uh, does grieve us, the many divisions. And Father, we, we know that that is not what pleases Thee, is not what Jesus prayed for, is not what the apostles taught. And yet, Lord, uh, due to our, uh, our sin and uh, our not understanding and applying Thy word, uh, as it ought to be understood and applied, we have uh, brought forth all of these divisions. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us as thy people. Give to us, Lord, hearts that, and uh, to seek thy face that we may, again, not only be one spiritually, but, Lord, that we would be one visibly. That's what Jesus was praying for because a mere spiritual oneness is not going to convince the world that the Father has sent the Son, but Lord, that one visible uh, unity uh, where the church maintains that unity throughout the world, that's going to convince the world that the Father sent the Son. We ask, Lord, that Thou would Hear our prayers as we call upon thee through Christ our Savior. Amen.
Are there any questions uh, that you might have uh, from the study this evening? Uh, whether you're in the conference room or uh, whether you're uh, just sitting here in the room? Questions or comments? Okay, well thank you all for joining us. You are dismissed.